joining us now, our great friend Al Beck. Good morning, Al. Good morning, Karen. I think every spring is a reluctant one. Yeah. It seems like that's been pretty much the case in my life. I was just uh, just returned from uh, speaking and leading some tours at the Wings and Wetlands Festival. It's held at uh, Cheyenne Bottoms and Quivira National Wildlife Refuge in Great Bend, Kansas. So it was uh, fun being out there. We got into the 70s. It wasn't. Uh, it was just very pleasant the weather out there and the wind. I'm so used to it being windy out there when I visited before, and this time there was just no wind. So it was a great time to see all kinds of uh, uh, shorebirds is the thing I was primarily looking at, but things like scissor tail flycatchers, and when you mentioned mockingbirds, I certainly saw a mockingbird out there. A, a friend was driving the car, and uh, one almost hit the windshield of the car. Uh, fortunately, it missed, but we did see mockingbirds, too. So. A lot of the same birds we have here, but uh, then a lot of different ones, too, and uh, meadowlarks singing everywhere. It was just a very pleasant time. Uh, back here, I watched a red-tailed hawk kiting into the wind like a, a kite. It had nothing to do with a check kiting scheme or anything like that, but the wind allows the raptor to hover while hunting, so it flies into the wind, and it can just hover in place, and it primarily preys on uh, small mammals, so that works out pretty well for it. In the yard here, the, the yard birds come and go, and they're not to be confused with the yard birds, a rock band whose hits included For Your Love and Heart Full of Soul and a bunch of other ones that I don't remember right now. But back to my yard birds. Bird migrations carry magic and wonder in their feathers. Spring migrations are more colorful as birds wear breeding plumages. Fall migration has more birds because there's all those young birds are included. So the new birds are more likely to take a wrong turn and end up where they aren't supposed to be, much to the delight of a birder. But today the world is in technicolor, and most birds are breath-stopping jewels. They're just beauties. But the loveliness of some of the warblers just makes them special. I recall as a boy toiling the farm fields on a tractor without a cab one spring day when the weather had been good and bad a little rain some wind and then the sun came out and got just uh, really hot so i brought the tractor to a stop at the edge of our woods i grabbed my poor man's lunch pail and uh, i know a lot of folks know what that was it was a bread wrapper that we put food in and I climbed onto a low-hanging branch of a lofty tree to enjoy a couple bologna and Velveeta sandwiches and a like mm. number of sugar cookies. <laughs> and as I munched away, I heard the um, chips of birds, and I looked up to see branches covered in American red starts. And the red starts were drooping their wings and fanning their tails in order to flush insect prey from the vegetation. The males flashed orange and black, while the females, nicknamed yellow starts by some birders, showed yellow and gray. The large number of dancing warblers made me say wow more than once. Their presence made for the best of dinner entertainment. I watched the warblers for exactly too long when I should have been working. And as I resumed work, I wished the tractor offered a warbler floor show, too. A spring may have, been, have sprung. I've uh, put my winter coat away. The land smells of spring. Right here at home, it smells of skunk today. 
the whole world seems to be chirping, and a visit to an ice cream shop doesn't sound like an insane idea anymore. But birds have to deal with the weather. Everything does for the Great Lakes, Ohio Valley, and Midwest. The Farmer's Almanac predicts heat and humidity will build in June, and July will be stormy and warm. A stormy summer is on tap for the region overall. Severe weather may rumble through in late July. Uh, time is fleeting. It seems as if the juncos had just arrived, and now they have left my yard. I'll miss the lovely little gray and white birds. Uh, Dark-eyed juncos do nest in the northeastern and north-central part of Minnesota. And Karen, you got a call from Bruce in Waldorf. And uh, Bruce, uh, thanks for listening. Bruce said he's lived long enough to see changes in southern Minnesota and wondered why we never used to see coyotes in southern Minnesota. And now there seem to be so many. He said there's a pack of them that live by the lake near Waldorf. He hears them howl all the time. He's going to be hunting them because they kill pets and other animals. He has his own theory, but would like to know your perspective. Yeah, and you know, well, you've been Bruce. around at least a few years, too. So I, I don't know how old that Bruce is, but he says, yeah, I've been around here long enough to know. And I thought, well, so is Albat. So I, I guess I don't recall hearing about coyotes much either, but apparently they're back in, in full force. And, and I'm like Bruce. Boy, when I was a kid, I would certainly see a coyote once in a while, but it was, uh, I don't know if I, I guess a rare event. It's certainly very, very uncommon to see one. And it was, uh, when we saw one, we'd try to make it into a dog because there were, everybody had a bunch of dogs that seemed farm places. So you just figured, well, it must be a dog, but sometimes they were coyotes. I, you know, historically, coyotes were found in the prairies they were found here but due to intensive agriculture their habitat just changed and their numbers dwindled on the prairies so while bruce and i were growing up we just didn't see them they have rebounded dramatically and i think it shows their adaptability they are smart they're elusive and here they have plenty of food sources there's wild turkeys galore uh, we never have a, um, a shortage of rabbits, at least to here. I know I hear from people who say, where are the rabbits? And I always tell them they're in my yard because I always have a lot of rabbits. Uh, rodents, we just have all kinds of rodents for coyotes to eat. And the other thing that folks maybe don't think of, uh, carrion. There's a lot of dead stuff on the road. And I've seen a lot of coyotes on the road dragging things off the road. So they, they do a nice service there getting rid of some of those things. So carrion is an important food source. But besides carrion, there's one thing else that really adds to their, uh, their numbers just skyrocketing. There are no wolves. At one time, there were wolves and kept their numbers down. Uh, again, not while I was growing up or while Bruce was growing up, but uh, way in the past, there were wolves. So now coyotes are right up there. When it comes to, when you look at the food chain, well, when it's predators, they're right up at the top. So that's, and if Bruce has uh, other, boy, I'd love to hear his other ideas. I'd love to hear from everyone. So uh, Bruce, thanks. Great hearing from you. Uh, Roxanne Schneider said, I still have a junco in my backyard. This is very late for it to be hanging around. The white-throated sparrows are here. Usually juncos are long gone. 
Uh, they are, and they, but there's always a couple outliers. That Hanger-ons, I call them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. who knows why they hang around? Uh, did they have some problems? Were they ill? Uh, were they injured? Were they just, uh, they're just not good at, uh, you know, I led uh, uh, some field trips, and it was not out in Kansas, but in a different place. And there was a couple. They were the nicest couple on earth, but they were late for every field trip. It's just one of those things. They run on a different schedule, and and they weren't so late that they put everybody out. But uh, most Midwesterners, when you say be on time, that means like 15 minutes early. So maybe these people were just right on time. But it was interesting that it was the same couple each and every time. And like I say, they were the nicest people on earth. So I, who knows what was going on in their lives. Uh, so uh, maybe that's the jungle that you have there. It's just one of those that gets a, a late start. And uh, just uh, we hope it'll do all right. I've got a question, Al, about hummingbirds. Sure. Is it too early to put my hummingbird feeder out? Because I, I cleaned it all out because, you know, it had some bugs and ants and things in it from the year before so I mixed up some some sugar water for them and I thought I wonder if it's too early yet to put them out are they back or when when should I put that out you know and my uh, lovely bride is kind enough to pass along some things from her Facebook friends and uh, one of them is one of our neighbors Marta Hebronson of, of Heartland and on Saturday, she had roast breasts of gross beaks, Baltimore Orioles, and ruby-throated hummingbirds. Oh, okay. So, yeah. So I can so put it out and it'll be not wasted just on the ants. That's right. And hopefully they'll show up. It's just, uh, you never know. You kind of, it's like rolling the dice. But sooner or later, they will show up, and they certainly are around. Uh, Susan Turtell, she was up in the Twin Cities. And she stopped at Menards somewhere in St. Paul, and she said, I was astonished to see a Sora at Menards. It was in the outdoor nursery and just walking around pretty calmly looking for things to eat. It has to be my most unusual spotting of a bird ever. So, yeah, that's pretty cool. And uh, I was uh, led a, um, a walk, uh, one of the co-leaders of a walk up at the Afton State Park up by Hastings. And we're just walking along, and here comes a Sora, walks out of the marsh, and just kind of saw us, and, and walked back into the marsh. But they are little rails, and they call their names Sora, Sora, and then they do kind of a witch's cackle of a call. Uh, you, you received a postcard from our friend John. I New did. Alm. He, and you know, I love he makes his own postcards. I don't know if you make your own or not, but it's from a cereal box, and it looks like it's something. There's a little dipper of honey and it looks like some flakes so I'm not sure what kind of cereal it is but it's got some raspberries and it actually makes a really nice postcard on the back and then he writes on the other side and makes a little line to you know delineate the the uh, address and the let the um the, the the letter that he writes me so it's kind of cool and by the way his birthday's coming up on June 8th so we want to say early happy birthday in case we forget by the time it comes <laughs> Yeah, there's a Gordon Lightfoot concert then. So. Which I'm going to go to, by the way, because, you know, he's 80 years old, and I'm thinking he's probably not going to do a lot more tours. <laughs> well, yeah. He might. I would think he'd be, you know, he's cutting back at this point in life, but you never know. So, right. Yeah, no, I, I don't, you know, I put on my own stamps so uh, on postcards, but that's about it. I was uh, down in Ames, Iowa at the library and met a gentleman down there who was making postcards out of, every kind of weird thing 
I shouldn't say weird, beautiful things, odd, fascinating things. And uh, he'd been doing this for a number of years. And when I got home, he somehow found out my address because you can find pretty much everybody's address anymore. And he sent me one. It's just uh, really neat. Uh, he just finds he was going to um, oh, libraries and things that they get books for their book sales, and a lot of them are in such bad condition that they can't use them, so they're going to recycle them all. So he would go in there and take some of the covers off and all these kind of things from these books and would use them as postcards and just made it interesting. Al, you know that the hipsters would say that's called upcycling. Is that what that is? Yeah, it's when you take something that's like somebody's trash and you make it cool again, so it's upcycling. Man, I'm going to have to try to do that. I want to read from Al, from uh, John's postcard here. He talked about stuff you can read to Al at Flandreau Park in New Ulm. There is now there are, there are now goats to eat invasive plants for a month or so. And by the way, they did a little uh, TV segment on it at KEYC, and my boys were on the the news with the goats. It was kind of cute. Um, and it says tell Al picking up uh, branches and sticks from trees is like picking my up after kids. So the kids are the goats, I guess. Uh, and yeah. how does the Easter rabbit stay in shape? Oh, he hops down the bunny trail. I, e- I have no... Exercise. Oh, exercise. Oh, Where do fish keep their money? You might know this one. That one I do know, the riverbank. Yeah, that's an easy... And he said, here's an easy one, which I couldn't figure out. What kind of shoes do spies wear? Sneakers. You knew that, okay. And he said, uh, and then he also wrote, he thought said, I thought I read that goats don't mind eating poison ivy and thorns, etc. And it says, uh, yeah, so, uh, and I don't know if that's true. I know they always used to picture goats eating tin cans, but I think that's not true because they would probably get pretty sick if they would eat that, I would think. They do not eat tin cans. I used to raise goats, and yeah, they will eat poison ivy without any harm whatsoever. Even thorns? Uh, they lo- uh, They would certainly eat some of them. Yeah, okay. they're incredible creatures, and they're really, uh, they're pretty smart little buggers, and they can climb on things, and they uh, like to eat buckthorn and all those uh, sort of things that we're getting rid of. And I know uh, Jake Longeslog pretty well from Faribault that has the goats over there, and he's just a, really a good guy. And some years ago he came up with this idea, and I'm, uh, it couldn't happen to a nicer person. So I'm, I'm glad he's doing really well on it. He and his wife are excited. It's an odd thing, but, you know, if you went to one of those uh, entrepreneurship seminars they would tell you to find uh, some sort of need that's not being filled and then fill it and that's certainly what jake is doing and i'm i'm glad he's doing well uh wilford tustison of heartland lives just down the road from me known wilford all my life he has a pair of bald eagles right in his farmyard i mean right in his farmyard just right there eileen hargath eileen is from wasika she said she would like to protect the birds from striking windows She's heard about UV decals and UV liquids. She said, Al, I don't do anything online as far as purchases, so can you help me out? And uh, I called here and there and uh, found some things out. Pet Expo in Mankato has the UV decals. 
Uh, Home Depot is supposed to carry or be able to order the UB, UV liquid marker. And I, I hope this is uh, helpful. I called a, a number of places that uh, had no idea what I was talking about. Mm. Uh, some that knew but said, no, we don't handle them. Some said, well, maybe we can find them. And if somebody knows about other places, I certainly didn't call everybody. But uh, those were the two I found that uh, said, yeah, you bet. Come on in. Uh, Denny Tustison of Albert Lee saw Baltimore Oriole his first on Saturday. Uh, TJ, Tom Johnson from Medelia, sent me a bunch of photos of a piebald robin. And piebald is just, oh, I think a piebald deer. I remember when I was a little boy, I saw a piebald deer. It was a dark deer, as most are, and then had white spots on it. And that's what TJ saw here, and uh, it's Lukeism, a case of Lukeism. But I think when folks see that, they'd probably be more likely to call it uh, a piebald, although some would say uh, partial albino, which I, I don't think they can be a partial albino, so it'd be Lukeistic. Uh, Arlene Carr of Northfield sent me a photo of a groundhog in her vegetable garden. And the odd thing is, well, I shouldn't say odd. Arlene was happy to see it. It was really cool. And why was she happy to see it? Because she's got no vegetables growing yet. And boy, as soon as she gets her veggies in there, she will not be happy to see that groundhog in her veggie garden. They have a wonderful appetite. And um, people tell me that groundhogs make wonderful pets and chauffeurs. Uh, maybe not the chauffeur. Maybe it's just pets. They, they make wonderful pets. Um, I'm going to mention this one more time. Good Earth Village is a lunch and learn invitation. They'd like everybody to show up on Monday, May 13th from 11 a.m. to 1.30. That's by Spring Valley. I'll be speaking uh, about birds there, and it's a free will offering. If you're interested or like the RSVP, just go to goodearthvillage.org and look for the uh, Lunch and Learn to click on there. So it's a a great place. If you've never been there, I I recommend it highly. A listener said, uh, I enjoy you and Karen on KMSU. Well, we enjoy you you listening to KMSU. Yeah. I've seen murmurations of starlings, and a lot of folks, you've probably seen them online, these giant twisting uh, things in the air. This listener asked, how do birds in those flocks keep from colliding (laughs) with the other birds? That's a good question. Oh, because we go to the when we go to the movie theater, they have those ropes, those velvet ropes, so we don't walk into other people. They keep us in a line, so we just don't bump into someone. So I am like the listener. I am mesmerized by those pulsating clouds of birds swirling through the sky. Princeton University researchers have revealed a key behind this magic, and it's a number seven. It's mathematical. Starlings coordinate movement with their seven nearest neighbors, and they do so gracefully and safety, and safely. Um, they can detect the seven birds nearest them, and they can tell how they're moving. It's just incredible. We would not be able to do that, of course, but they can. And they just move right along with those other seven, and it just makes it look like this, uh, like a 
giant ballet uh, this flock is. It's just a wonderful thing to see. So and how, a lot of folks aren't. How did somebody figure that out, that it's seven? I mean, there's so many in, in the bunch. It just seems incredible yeah. that you could even figure that out. I mean, I, I was thinking it's sort of having a, a GPS like the new vehicles. We just got a new vehicle, and they've got these cameras, these sensors on them that basically let you know if there's something right by your side or, you know, in your blind spot, and the, the steering wheel will vibrate to let you know if you've gone over the line a little bit. So, I mean, the birds must have some built-in sensors that we are just discovering. We are lacking a lot of things that they have, and uh, that's one of them, and that ability to move with the, with the flock, so to speak. You know, we always hear about going with the flow, and uh, maybe it's like our mom said, I suppose if Tommy jumped off the water tower, you jump off too, so maybe um, starlings are just better at that. Those cars now, when you come up, yours will slow down when you come up behind a car yes yeah if it's in only if it's in your uh, cruise control if, if you're going putts and slow around town you have to be paying attention but if you're in the cruise control or a certain uh, speed i think it's 40 or over then it will automatically yeah or it'll kind of like slow you down and you're like oh yeah i better pay attention but you should be paying attention anyway so if you're going to pass a car ahead of you you either need to get in that lane quicker than normal or you need to kick out the cruise control in order to pass well, somebody that's going slow ahead of you if you have your blinker or if you turn if you're accelerating um it, it kind of it, it senses like if you're doing something with the pedal that you're trying to pass then it doesn't automatically do that so i mean if you're trying to ram somebody oh, i guess okay. you could if you really wanted to <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, no. but it's just amazing it's it's got all these smart things on them and i kind of like the one where they have so it blinks when there's something um, you know, in your blind spot, if you're going to change lanes or something, because that is something that, especially in vans or something where you've got a lot of um, places that can hide things by you, that that's it's kind of a nice deal. And even when I was backing out of the driveway the other day, uh, we live kind of on a curve, so all of a sudden it was like beep 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 beep, and this light flash, and there was a car coming around the curve that, I mean, I couldn't see because the tree was there, and so I was like, whoa, that's pretty cool. So I think it'll help prevent me from backing into things, which I tend to do it because it's also got the backup camera and, oh yeah, it's got all kinds of things that talk and beep to you. So it's, it's really interesting. They sound wonderful. Anything to make us uh, more safe yeah. is a great thing. And, and every car has a, a blind spot. Maybe if you could look at every mirror and everything, but I think everyone has a little bit of a blind spot. And I know big trucks certainly have because... Uh, you can come oh, yeah. up on one, and they'll have a lot of them will have a little sign on there about you're in our blind spot now. So, so it's uh, yeah, I think they're wonderful things. I, um, it's just uh, how they have uh, how they have continued to change is incredible. My and, only uh, concern is what if that electronic thing stops working and you become overly reliant on it? So, I mean, I still hope that people will still be vigilant about paying attention themselves. I really do. Yep, and everything can uh, stop working. Or Oh, yeah. Yeah, so we, we find that, you know, I, I bought a, a cell phone uh, hundred years or so ago and the guy says everybody swears by this phone it's just they swear by it mm -hmm. um boy i had it about two months and it was just terrible it i just every day i got up thinking what is going to go wrong with this thing mm -hmm. today 
So I took it in, and there's the same guy. And I said, this phone. And he, I think he meant to say that everybody swears at this phone, <laughs> not buy it. Because then I got that, well, we've had a lot of problems with that particular model. So it was just one of those things. You, lemons come in every color, and it was just one of those. I, it was, you know, men become attached to inanimate objects, uh, Oh, you know, you think of uh, maybe Grandpa with his favorite pipe. He just loved that pipe, loved to smoke that pipe. And people just, uh, a carpenter was telling me about a hammer that he had. That he'd had it for so many years, and I don't know how many handles he'd put on. He just loved that hammer. But I was so happy to see that inanimate object go. Uh, just I was happy to be done with that cell phone. and. It's uh, the one I got now works pretty good, so I, I don't know. I, I shouldn't say that. I hope it's not listening because I think they can they can hear. A uh, listener asked, "Do uh, sap suckers harm trees?" Uh, yellow-bellied sap suckers drip. They drill sap wells in many species of trees and woody plants, but they have a strong preference for birches and maples because those are trees with high sugar concentrations. Sap sucker sap wells are approximately a quarter of an inch in diameter. They're typically numerous holes drilled in horizontal rolls like a machine gun shot. And the sap wells attract hummingbirds. Sap sucker damage could make a tree vulnerable to other problems such as insect disease or decay fungi. Uh, the yellow-bellied sapsucker is the only woodpecker in eastern North America that is completely migratory. Uh, the red-headed woodpeckers will leave here for the most part, uh, but they're not not what we think of making those great migrations. But do sapsuckers harm trees? Yes and no. Very often strong trees uh, uh, do okay, but I guess insect causing disease is uh, one of the things that uh, they could, it doesn't happen often. We so had the, the sap suckers drill holes in our fruit trees, so the apricot tree finally succumbed then with all those holes to, to insect problems, and we had a pear tree also that the, you, I, I was wondering, why are all these little horizontal holes just all around? I thought, well, this seems too perfect to be, you know, done by, I don't know, bugs or so so it must have been the sap sucker and we we lost most of that tree too so we have had damage to our our fruit trees because of of that and if folks in there off there into oh radio at all and uh, i took uh, the morse code tests a long time ago and that was the way you could get a license to use amateur radio and the Morse code, you know, dot, 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 dash, 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 that sort of thing, that's what a sap sucker sounds like when it's doing it, these holes into a tree. It's not that that fast drumming that we hear that a downy or a hairy or a red-bellied might make. It's the Morse code sound on a on a tree limb or tree branch. So how so, would that go yeah. then? Because I, was, I, I guess I never thought I ever heard them, but maybe I did. Yeah, it's uh, it sounds like Morse code. Da, like, da, da. Oh. There's a lot of pauses and that they, they, 
So it sounds like, and maybe they are sending Morse code. <laughs> I, you know, it's been so long. You, you always think, boy, I'll never forget this. I had to spend so much time learning this thing, and you had to send so many words per minute. And <laughs> I've forgotten it all. I, I just don't remember any of it. I hope that everybody will come to the cafe today where the food chain is missing a few links. The specials, always the Heimlich Maneuver and gravies considered a beverage, and now featuring authentic leftovers with less hair in the food and real cup holders where grease is good and none of the food smells like feet. Well, hardly any. I, like good share of you, spend a considerable amount of time in meetings. Meetings are important. They keep the world from accomplishing too many things. And funny things happen at meetings, which is good, because meetings can get dry sometimes. Minutes are generally kept. I've been secretary and kept those minutes, and you try to get everything in there, but not too much. And a friend of mine turned in the minutes that she had kept of one meeting that I was at, that indicated everyone received a plague, and it should have been a plaque, but <laughs> plague sounded as if it were part of a more interesting, if fatal, meeting. Yeah. I sat at a large conference table not long ago during a board meeting, and I was wearing new pants. I'd had a dramatic weight loss and needed new pants. Some of the weight loss might have been brain cells because my new trousers had a lengthy sticker I'd neglected to remove running vertically <laughs> on one leg. I've had that before. It, <laughs> oh, gosh, it indicates size and yeah. other such things. And they have the size like 47 times on there. I'm not sure why that is. Yeah. And I noticed the exceedingly apparent presence of the sticker after the meeting had been going on for probably a half hour or so. And so did the fellow seated next to me. I could tell he was looking at it while he was trying not to look at it. And I caught him looking at the sticker, and I smiled and said, new pants. And at least my zipper was up. So that's Remember, folks, Heartland as well, we're driving past. Uh, thanks for listening. Do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. Thank you, Karen, as always, for your wonderful company. I appreciate you. Thank you, Alan. You have a great rest of your week and enjoying the birds. I will do so. Bye-bye. Right. Bye-bye.